Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. Gaina Rolls is a neurodevelopment consultant and instructor of rhythmic movement training. She has more than 20 years experience as a teacher, which led her to this unique field. Hello, Gaina. Hi there. How are you, Dana? I'm fine. So, Gaina, could you tell us how you got into this fascinating field? Well, I have uh, two children and my eldest son uh, had a lot of difficulties in his early childhood so he uh he you know in, in, right interesting from from their pregnancy to the birth and the whole process but he really struggled he was a late walker he didn't crawl properly and i found that when he started school he was really struggling he'd come home from school really really tired and he'd flake out and he just seemed to really find it difficult to get dressed in the morning he found it difficult to learn to ride a bicycle and all sorts of things found it difficult to write he had years in and out of the doctors the pediatrician gp you name it occupational therapy all trying to help him and no one really could have given me any conclusive answers as to what was going on with him and why he was finding things difficult but uh he ticked an awful lot of boxes for dyspraxia but he was never formally diagnosed and it was only when I found an occupational therapy practice that was using reflex integration as part of their assessment and treatment program that I really started to see some differences in him and I mean like within a week he was walking and running differently so of course that piqued my interest as a teacher because I've spent years trying to work with children who just didn't get it and couldn't cope and nothing that I ever did really significantly moved them forward so I thought well there's something about this particular work that these occupational therapists are doing that's different from anything else I have experienced in the last seven years and so I just did did some homework and found out if I could train in it and the answer was yes because it's a an educational program as opposed to a medical program and uh, I think the rest there as they say is history I kind of qualified as a consultant first and uh, walked away from teaching three and a half well it'll be yeah four years in September four years ago in September to work with this full-time because I just felt the potential for making a difference in the lives of children was so much higher than if I'd stayed in a classroom environment. So could you explain a bit, I mean, what is this Primitive Reflex Integration Program? So so the Primitive Reflex Integration Program is rhythmic movement training. It's one of many that are available in the world. There are several others. There's others called INPP, uh, MNRI, QRI, or some of the world, you know, they're all world-recognized integration programs. And rhythmic movement training is one of them. It started in Sweden in the 1970s. 
and was uh, developed, further developed through the 80s and 90s. And it was introduced into the United Kingdom in 2006. So when you think about therapies in the scheme of things, it's really, really new. But it is spreading fast and really quickly around the world. It's available in 23 countries around the world and growing all the time. So we're working on developing practitioners around the world. Instructors travel a lot teaching people how to do this and add it into their practice. Uh-huh. So what would be the red flags that parents should be aware of? <laughs> Any sign of developmental delay. Um, so for me, for example, my cues were things like my son didn't call till he was you know, significantly past the typical developmental milestones expected for that age. He didn't walk until he was 18 months, which is considered to be developmentally beyond 14. You know, children should be walking by 14 months in theory. And when he did crawl, he didn't crawl properly. He crawled with one leg dragging out to one side. So if our child can't cope with cross-lateral crawling, so that's when you put in left knee forward, right hand goes forward. And right hand goes forward, left uh, uh, left hand goes forward, right knee goes forward. So that cross-lateral patterning should be effortlessly attained in our system if reflexes have finished doing their job. If we're looking at a child who is at school already, we're looking at things like Do they find it difficult to sit still and to focus and to concentrate? Do they find it difficult to learn to read and write? Um, Are they finding it difficult on an emotional level? Do they struggle with anxiety? Do they get angry? Uh, Do they have, um, would they be considered to be quite clumsy and uncoordinated? All of these things are indications that there is potentially something going on with the inbuilt program in us, which is called reflexes, that's meant to wake up, do its job and develop the brain and the brain's control over the body, efficient control over the body. And if the brain can't control our bodies efficiently, then there is a reason. And this for me was the big thing. And all the children I work with, I mean, I work with everything from autism and Asperger's, dyslexia, dyspraxia, Down syndrome, um, ADD, ADHD, just generally children who are behind where they ought to be or where the expected expected levels are. I work with anxiety, depression. I work with adults as well as children. And it's always my question comes back to, is it hard work for the brain to do the things that we take for granted? And if it is hard work, then we need to ask the reason why it's hard work and see if we can change it. And reflexes tend to be a big marker at the root of it all. So uh-huh. I'm just trying to think what else. Um, gosh, I just get, <laughs> get people coming to me for so many different reasons. And it's just like... It's just wonderful to see them make progress. Speech delays, sensory processing issues, anything like that. The way a child walks, the way they run, the way they sit, all of these things can be indicators that the brain is struggling to do things naturally and efficiently. So in your assessment, which reflexes are you looking for? Well, what I do is I 
tend to, in my first session, take people through as many reflexes as I possibly can. We assess reflexes by looking for telltale signs that the movement pattern has still got some hold on the system. So every reflex has a particular trigger, movement-wise or sensory-wise. And what we're looking for is the evidence that that those triggers are still active in a person's system. So for example, uh, there's one called the tonic labyrinthine reflex, and it has two parts, the head control going forwards and head control going backwards. And when it first emerges in a baby's system, head forward will make the spine curl up and the knees will want to come in. That is what happens with that particular reflex pattern. So what we do is we take people and say, right, can you put your head forward? So like look down towards your feet and we look to see does that then influence what is happening to the spine? Does it influence what happens in the legs? And then the opposite of that is head back. Does it make the back, the spine want to arch back, go into what um, people would say is extension as, if, as opposed to flexion? What happens? Is there a loss of balance? All of these sort of things. So we tend to assess the main ones we look at in rhythmic movement training involve tonic labyrinth and reflex, asymmetric tonic neck reflex, symmetrical tonic neck reflex. We look at spinal reflexes, spinal gallant and spinal perez and volmer. We look at reflexes in the hips that teach the brain how to isolate control between the four limbs, one called the amphibian. We look at one called Landau. We look at feet reflexes. We mainly look at um, one called Plantar and Babinski, and we also look at hand reflexes, which teach the brain how to get efficient control over the hands and fine motor control. And we mainly work with three in rhythmic movement training, uh, hand-mouth babkin and the palmer grasp, and another one called hands pulling. So those are the core reflexes. We also work with fear paralysis reflex, which is the very first one to emerge at three weeks in utero. And we work with the Moro reflex, which helps that it's, it's a very key one for teaching a person how to feel safe in this world and plays a very important role in the birth process. So th those are the fun main ones that we work with in rhythmic movement training. And so we will test to see how much of a control each of those reflexes still has on a system. And then we'll move them forward with with a movement and isometric pressure program where we help to re-educate the brain on how to control the muscles more efficiently. And look, generally speaking, like children who come to you with sensory processing or autism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how long would the program take? Like, Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, with autism, we're, we're talking years. Um, I would say uh, my longest client that I've got on my books, the mo I had was somebody who I worked with for three and a half years. I have another one on my books at the moment who I've been working with for three years. It really varies on the individual. And I often find that um, the willingness and the readiness of the individual to receive the therapeutic intervention makes a massive difference as to how quickly they respond. Um, I had the shortest period of time I've worked with somebody is six months. Uh -huh. When you say it's mostly the individual, do you mm. find that 
it's the individual or the family commitment to the whole program? Both, because if they don't do what I ask them to do, of course, nothing's going to change. Um, you know, it's really important that in the, the thing with the rhythmic movements is that the movements are based on baby movement patterns. And what we know is that the rhythm and the flow and the symmetry and the effortlessness with which the movements are done feed the brain and help the brain to assess it like self-examines the quality of the synapses and the neural pathways in the brain and it can works out for itself that some of the connections it's established aren't as efficient as it could be and it reworks them and the consistency of the movements seems to be really really important and to the whole speed with which the healing process can take place because if you only do the program in an erratic manner, so say you've asked somebody, I want you to do, do the work twice a week, and they do it like a Monday and a Thursday one week and a Tuesday and a Friday the next and a Wednesday and a Saturday the next week, it's not consistent. And for some reason, that really impacts on how much the brain or how quickly the brain responds to the sensory experience from the movements and reworks itself and so yeah it, it is family commitment it's also but the, it's really important that the individual wants to do it because we have a believe that a stressed system isn't going to change so if you force a child to do something that's not going to help either so it's, it has to be a balance between the two the child wants to do it the child enjoys doing it and the parents and the families are committed to making the program happen and how often do families come to see you i mean is it once every four weeks or every four yeah every four to six weeks and then what i do is you know we will assess and we will agree a program or what we're going to focus on for the next section of time and i will write up a program for them to go home and follow And then, you know, we keep in touch in between sessions if they have any questions or any queries because, of course, we can get reactions to the movements because the brain is reorganizing. And so it's about being supportive and being there for my clients in between sessions as well as during the sessions because it is a journey and it's a journey of change. And that can be pretty scary for some people. So... Yeah, but for every four to six weeks is important because that's the time that the transition starts to take you know, the, of, of change in the brain because it takes about three weeks of consistent application for the neural pathways to start to rework and then it takes a further 10 days for the new neural pathways to settle down and then in fact it takes a further two months for those new neural pathways to become permanent. So it's a consistent building and reworking, reorganizing the body. And now I was wondering if you could elaborate on one of the important reflexes. Wow, where do I begin? So uh, the fear paralysis reflex is, I would say, the, the foundational reflex on which everything else builds. So in terms of, you know, when we think about you know, how it, what it does to the system. What it does, it's, it's, it's a survival reflex. So its job is for the fetus to sense if the mother is in any form of distress, 
or experiencing any form of stress, whether it's a toxic stress, whether it's an environmental stress or an emotional stress in the first trimester of pregnancy. And then what the fetus does, or this, it's in well, that stage, three weeks, it's just a, a matter of cells, but the little those cells will withdraw and freeze. And so when it gets to the embryonic stage, the little embryo will withdraw and freeze and essentially almost shuts its system down to reduce the demands being made on the mother's system to keep it alive for one thing, but secondly, to try and protect itself from the hormones that are going on through the mother's system. So it has a very fundamental survival role, but it is that freeze response, that shutdown response that you see in people when they get really stressed. And it's there for life, but what shouldn't happen is it shouldn't be controlling the system for life. It should just be something that pops out periodically to support in genuine times of stress and danger. And where freeze, a freeze response is an appropriate way to survive that danger. And what a lot of people I see, their systems are still stuck at that point and they haven't quite moved on. And it does have a massive impact on all of the other reflexes being able to do its job, their job efficiently. So how do we move on? Well, <laughs> I, we, we, in rhythmic movement, we use uh, gentle rhythmical movements to stimulate the brain naturally. But we also use something called pre-birth movements, which are modeled around the idea of the baby moving in the womb, what those kind of movement patterns are like, what they look like, what they feel like, and get people to replicate them and to repeat them. And so it's about teaching the brain how to find safety in this world. And we want to move the body through fear paralysis reflex, let go of the system, move through moro reflex, let go of the system into something called adult startle or stress response, because we do need different methods of surviving in the face of genuine danger. First one is freeze, which is fear paralysis. Second one is flight, so run away and hide. Or we can do have submission, or we can have fight. And those are the four primary responses to danger, and we need to survive. And what happens is when the brain and the autonomic nervous system gets to the point where we can instinct, instantly identify a dangerous situation, and choose from those four to survive that dangerous situation, respond, survive it, and move on, then we know that the autonomic nervous system has matured and we've reached adult startle. So it's about mapping that and trying to, to, to track that. And they have a massive impact on sensory processing as well. So they'll be foundational where sensory processing difficulties are, including your internal senses, so interoception, your vestibular system, your proprioception, all of these things are very, very common in children who've got sensory processing difficulties and fear paralysis reflex and moral reflex are often retained in the system when those are being experienced, those difficulties are being experienced. So it's about giving the brain more stimulation to work out, lots of cuddles, lots of hugs, are really important because that's an important innate 
part in our systems that we need to learn to feel safe in this world. So we have a variety of different techniques that we use, but they are all primarily movement-based or something called isometric pressure, where we take people back to the early reflex patterns and repeat those and work with those patterns to say to the brain, yes, we've done this piece, we can move on. Exactly. For us, the primitive reflexes was a life changer. Mm. And I wish more people knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, my goodness, this just makes so much sense, why doesn't everybody know about it? And I said, well, I'm working on it. We are working on it. We are trying to get it out there. We are trying to educate. We, you know, in the UK, we run, we've got three, four practicing instructors who are regularly running courses and we have got a growing team of practitioners in rhythmic movement training. MNRI is starting to take off in the United Kingdom. INPP is based in Chester and they've been around for about 60 years. So we are working on trying to get the knowledge and the understanding of the importance of reflexes because they are innate in all of us and understanding the fundamental role that they play in teaching us how to get how to feel safe in this world and how to move efficiently is so foundational to how well our brain can work and so yeah it, it's it's so important it's so important and should be um a, a natural part of any treatment program because it really does help to speed up the healing process if this is being addressed as well. And are schools in your area? No. And... Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen children make more academic progress with reflex integration as part of their treatment than they ever could in any other format. I've had kids come from four years behind in everything and catch up, you know, it's 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 you know, if a child is struggling to read, there's a reason they're struggling to read, and if they're struggling to learn to how to write with a tripoint grip, there's a reason that they are struggling to learn to write with a tripoint grip. They are struggling to get their ideas out of their head and down on paper. There is a reason for that, and this is what this is one thing that this has taught me is the beauty of being able to find that reason, treat it. And then the difficulty goes away. And that is just so exciting when you see kids go from not speaking to speaking or kids going from not being able to write independently to writing independently. I'm constantly humbled by how much we take for granted until you've got a child who can't do it. Exactly. You know. And how can parents contact you? Uh, well, I've got a website, that's www.rulesrmt.co.uk, that's R-A-L-L-S-R-M-T, for Rhythmic Movement Training, .co.uk. Um, my email address is gaynor, G-A-Y-N-O-R, at rulesrmt.co.uk. I have a Facebook page, RulesRMT, I'm on Twitter, RulesRMT. You can find me on Instagram, Gain or Rules, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So lots of those. And then my phone number is 0786-322-3287. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gainer, for the time. Welcome.
Thank you so much for having me, Dana. Thank you for listening to this Sensory Change podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danaletta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.